Welcome to Between Two Chairs, Demystifying Commercial Real Estate, the podcast that brings you the latest insights and trends on the South Florida commercial real estate market with your hosts, Fernando Arencibia Jr. and Jennifer Woolman. In each episode, we dive into the world of commercial real estate and break down complex concepts to make them accessible for everyone. Whether you're a real estate professional, a curious investor, or just interested in the South Florida market in general, Between Two Chairs is the podcast for you. So pull up a chair and join us. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Between Two Chairs. My name is Fernando Arencibia. I am very happy to be here with my amazing co-host, Jennifer Wallman. And uh, today, we have decided to delve into the world of office. As an asset class, right? We did an episode where we briefly covered all of the asset classes in commercial real estate. And now today, we're going to do a deeper dive in office, which is kind of ironic, I think, because everybody's saying, oh, office is dead. You know, all bad things are happening to office buildings in San Francisco are at an all-time high vacancy rate, but we're not seeing that so much in Miami. No, not at all. You know, we, we see that certain buildings are thriving and that there is certainly, um, you know, a healthy demand for office space in, in Miami. And there's even the, the sentiment of the way that our market feels about office is very different than many other markets around the country that are seeing a, a huge decline in demand, right? And it's putting a lot of pressure on the value of those assets. In Miami, not only do we see demand, but we're seeing growth in as far as new construction of office. That says, I think, a lot as to where the confidence is of what not only office is today, but what office will be in in the not so distant future in, in our market. Correct, and so most of the stuff being built today, well, everything being built today is class A office. So why don't we get into the basics of office as a group for the beginning investor or real estate agent who wants to get into this asset class because it's a it's a fun asset class to be in and to do tenant and landlord rep in so there's three types of office space right class a class b and class c and the class a office buildings are usually the investment grade right they're the ones that have the lowest risk they're the most expensive they're highly amenitized most of them have you know large spaces that are taken over by that are being leased by quality um, national and international, usually corporate tenant, very desirable, usually have some really cool features like some of the ones that we see in Miami. One of my favorite office buildings is the Arch Building. Uh-huh. Um, love that architectural design. So that type of building um, is yeah. A. So you want to go a little bit over Class B? Well, they're older, right? They don't have the hot new amenities, but they're still very well kept uh, and very well run. They're usually located 
located in in in, in a good location, right? <laughs> so it does it does provide a lot of value those Class B buildings, but they just don't have the shiny new amenities that you would normally find in Class A office. Right. You know, what what I do find interesting is that usually an owner of a Class B building is looking for ways if they're managed well, looking for ways to um, add upon those amenities, right, and reconfigure the space, right, and and go through a renovation so that they can, um, you know, achieve more of a, a Class A experience, right? So you do have that that ability that, that you have there and then Class C. Right. And, and Class B, I wanted to go back to yeah. that for a little bit before we go to Class C because sure. what we're seeing right now in Miami is because Miami's Class A office is so hot and the prices have gone up so much in terms of a price per square foot right. that we are starting to see flight to Class B from some of the tenants that just either want to be closer to home or just can't afford the rents that the yeah. Class A offices in Brickell have. Absolutely. And then Class C are significantly older buildings um, they don't have any historical significance they're just you know kind of functionally obsolete below market rents to attract some kind of tenants and then they usually don't have as good a management program in place and everything else right because those yeah. owners are just kind of breaking even and from a buying standpoint you know, that one's the highest risk, right? So, and and I think in a lot of cases, those are actually the ones that are good for either tear down or to try to gut and, and reposition. And um, it was interesting because I was listening to Michael Bull's podcast. Michael Bull of Bull Realty has a great podcast called America's Commercial Real Estate Show. And he interviewed somebody this week from um, Greenleaf Capital Partners, and he was talking about how they actually like to invest in DNF properties, which we don't really have a DNF class, but they're, they were basically saying that right now, even though most people are staying away from office due to all of the fear and negative you know, stories surrounding vacancy rates and demand and everything else that was exacerbated by the pandemic. Most of these properties, what I love about what he was saying is one that they tend to invest in um, single story office buildings because those are the ones they know best. That's what they know best. Very low, you know, DNF class, as he was saying. So kind of like the edge of scary. Yeah. And then they reposition them. So I loved that because that goes kind of along a Warren Buffett's investment theory of, you know, be fearful when everybody is greedy and be greedy when everybody's fearful. Yeah. And I feel like right now everybody is moving away from office. The big institutional investors are actually getting rid of office. Yeah. Um, and in places like San Francisco, obviously those offices, even though so many of them are vacant, just the quality of the offices are definitely more institutional. I think in a lot of markets in the United States, you'd be able to to find some pretty good investment opportunities in office. So, and we know statistically that investors are looking for those opportunities. And um, every year, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce brings out a report on the future of office or you know the current standing of office. And I was reading that 71% of builders and 68% of architects are being asked 
to find ways to reconfigure office space, especially that class C, you know, where you can, you know, achieve a lower basis, you know, entry point into the investment and then reconfigure it. And uh, I, I think that that is where the value is there. Now, if you are buying a class C office, right, it's the building and it is the way that the building is configured inside. Let's talk about the building first. What are things that are a must for you that give value to that asset, even though it's classy? Parking. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say parking based on our experience with two um, office buildings that right. we've been trying to lease that are um, yeah. that just don't have enough parking. So I would say parking for any class is still number one. It doesn't matter Correct. the building if you're going into office you need to have great parking. And if you're going into medical office, you need to have exceptional parking. Right. Um, so the first thing that I would look for is um, definitely parking. I, I would also look at maintenance, especially here in Florida, um, because being able to reconfigure or repurpose a class See building that already has, to your point, issues, especially inside with the floor plan, if in addition to that, it hasn't been maintained and you have structural issues, yeah. then you're really looking more at land value, tear down, right. rebuild, and... Yeah. That's not something that I personally get into, but I think I, I think that's definitely a big part of it is the parking location, of course, mm -hmm. being very important. I, I find interesting, you know, I went to show an office building right off of Coral Way and about 19th Avenue, some somewhere around there. It was built in 1990s, probably 97. It had some interesting architectural design, but it was a medical use. I could not figure out how what was the parking ratio because I kept looking around for, well, it doesn't have a garage mm -hmm. <laughs> and I don't see a lot of parking. And they basically bought the lot behind it, right? And they're using it for parking. But I'm counting the parking spaces. And I'm like, based on the square footage of the building, that this does not, you know, make any sense. And at the time, the listing agent had told me that there was, I think, a north of three and a half parking spaces per square foot, which is, you know, per hundred square feet. So, you know, you have your your requirement, um, you know, per per the county, right? That will require when you're going to get a certificate of use. And for the city of Miami, this is in the city of Miami. So. Um, what, what I found interesting was that, you know, he was claiming that the ratio was above the ask or, or, or close to it, but he was basically saying we could fit a hundred and something cars there, but he could fit it in because of the, uh, <laughs> because they had uh, three valet parkers that were just, you know, <laughs> scrunching the, the cars, right? And so I, I found that dynamic to be, uh, you know, I, of course crazy, but that, becomes a nightmare. We might only go there every once in a while because right. we have, you know, an appointment there, but uh, imagine working there day, you know. Day and day. I wonder how in that case, so first of all, clarifying it's, yeah, thousand, it's yes, per thousand, uh, yeah, right, 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 right. Coffee, yeah. And then, but, but when you- finish my coffee. Yeah. I know, I know it's, it's an early podcast recording, <laughs> um, but to your point, so, and in medical, even if it might be in that area, let's say it was three per thousand in medical, right. usually the ideal is like four and a half. Correct. per thousand yeah. so i'm wondering if they were so under 
how one how did they get the certificate of use right? right and then the second thing is were they doing telehealth because when you were there i don't know what time you were there but you know are they doing a lot of telehealth or what exactly type of medical was it because there's certain medical that doesn't have the patient flow or the patient concentration at a given time that other medical does so, so that, imagine, yeah that's imagine, curious imagine uh you know this nine-story building uh, this sorry seven-story building and that it has general practitioner it had a, um, a plastic surgeon it had a, a physical therapy oh. so imagine all of that crunched up in a place where you have three valet parkers that are moving and they're everything is double parked every single car is double parked wow. it's and and i agree with you the first thing i I think about is how did they find before they bought they bought the lot behind after the right, fact right so how did they have enough parking to be able to to build what they built Medical, there yeah. and the other thing that's interesting is that so with with medical space and parking and ballet so the According to code, the valet parking is really only allowed for what you need above, but you have right. to meet the minimal number of spaces per thousand square feet. So again, I'm, it would be really curious yeah. to see if your tenant were to pursue that space or right. your investor right. to figure out how they got those certificate of uses yeah. or what, what the county and city are looking at yeah. now that allowed them to change that parking ratio. Exactly. Now, what I find interesting in um, as you move into, you know, class B and class C is I, I once heard the developer of uh, 1450 Brickle speak. His name escapes me for some reason, but he he, he was wonderful. And uh, it was a presentation at FIU and, and he mentioned how long they worked to find the right glass for the impact glass of that building mm -hmm. because he wanted to create a building that was sustainable and that was functioning through a hurricane. When, when they were designing the building, there was a storm that came by and as he was driving by Brickle, there was glass all over the floor. He spent months trying to figure out what is the right consistency that he's looking for the glass on, on it. Then he creates basically a pool of generators that are in the in the in the roof that that have a combination of solar. He creates a way for for them to for him to collect the rainwater. And one of the things that that he spoke was about the experience of walking into the building. That you know a, a lot of the architectural designs that he was getting was going to maximize the square footage that he would be able to do. But he wanted a really grand entrance. He wanted a lobby that would be welcoming. He wanted people to feel like even though you're inside, there's a lot of light and it feels like there's almost like if there's fresh air, like you're not, you know, you don't feel, you know, tight. And I think that those, all of those decisions are not necessarily about the bottom line per square foot. I gotta, I gotta fit everything into, you know, I gotta maximize all the stuff, but it's more about what that experience is for someone that is going to be there you know, if you work in an office, you know, for 20 years, right. you know, you're going to be there five days a week, you know, eight, you know, eight hours a day. So 
that thinking, I think, is, is it's very obvious when you walk into a building, when that thought process has gone in, and when none of that thought came into the design of the building. Right, and I think it's interesting because, to your point, just when you were describing that building, I was thinking, oh, I bet people really enjoy going to work there. Like, they're proud of where they work. It's not like, oh, I'm going to work, and they're going into a dark building with no windows and everything else. So I think that thoughtfulness and also the sustainability that you're putting in from the major tenant, right? So there's two different aspects, right? There's the main tenant who's the employer of the worker that I just described. But for the main tenant, it's like, okay, so if there is a storm Mm -hmm. and, you know, the electricity goes out, how long before I can be up and running and functional? And in his building, obviously, from day one, right? right? Because we have generators to kick in and and make up for all that. So right. he's I'm sure he's getting top dollar. He's probably one of the buildings getting top dollar. Oh no, without a doubt. And you know that's one of the that's one of the markets, Brickle's one of the markets that has not only sustained but exceeded. I mean I think their average is about ninety five dollars a square foot in some in some parts of Brickle. And it's achievable based on location and, and really based on what they have what they have built. You know, everybody's looking for flexibility, hybrid, good airflow, good lighting, you know, and some of those buildings already were thinking about that way before there was even the thought of a pandemic or a sense of of the well-being, right, and the experience for the end user. Right. And I think, you know, 95 isn't an average, but I know that buildings are getting above 95, like the one that you described. Have you read Blanca's second quarter office report? No, but I I love Blanca. They're awesome. Well, you would love this one even more because they did this super creative thing using F1 as as the version of what's happening uh-huh. in Miami's market past and current. So you would love it. Um, I, I highly recommend you read it just for the F1 <laughs> comparison. You would love it. Um, but they stated that the average um, overall office for Class A is about $60 right. a square foot yeah. in Miami. I've heard other people say 57 right. 95 right. something like that. Right. Yeah. It so depends on the report. I think the numbers are, are very good. Yeah. And everything else. But, uh, but them, JLL, and Avison Young, they're they're within $2, $3 of each. So, so that tells you that, that the data is, you know. Right. It, and then we have so many yeah. sub-markets in Miami. Miami, right? We have the Brickle downtown market. Then we have Coral Gables, which is an extremely strong yeah. market. We have Coconut Grove, which doesn't have a ton of office space, but yeah. it's always in very high demand. So we've invited someone from Blanca, a commercial, you know, Juan Ruiz, who who I love and adore. He's a great broker, and you know, he, it's just wonderful to work with them. And um, you know, we we put a deal together in Blue Lagoon. Blue Lagoon is an area that has the most uh, Fortune. 500 companies in 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 South Florida are are you know have their offices there, and uh, one of the things that I find interesting about you know they they represent about 10 buildings there um, that is owned by this partnership between you know a REIT and a uh, an insurance company. And what I found interesting is the amount of money and thought that goes into making improvements to their building, right? They're Class A, mm-hmm. but making improvements to the buildings every year. So they had just com- reconfigured. The lobbies, the, they have reconfigured the, every single floor, every entryway, you know, and then the following year, they, they earmark a, a ton of money. So the, the thing about that Class A experience 
is that you never really stop investing, right? right? And if you run it right, that has to be part of your budget when you are managing, you know, hundreds of thousands of square feet of office space. Let me ask you, when did sure. when did you do that lease? So that lease was signed, um, you know, right at the end of last year. Okay, so I'm I'm curious because typically sure. lease office leases go like seven to ten years or five to right. ten years, yeah. and lately I've been seeing three to five year requests. Right. What? How long was yeah. this lease for? This was a five year lease with two five year options. You're right, and and I honestly would love to have a CPA come in here to have a conversation about something that I, I have found interesting, and I don't know if there is a connection. There was a shift about a couple of years ago where the IRS code uh, and the law changed on how leases are treated in your balance sheet and how they're treated in your P&Ls. And I have a sense that whereby people would want to do a 10-year lease that perhaps because of accounting purposes, there is more of a value to create five-year leases with the options to renew and then just deal with the renewal. I, Again, I'm, I'm speculating, yeah, yeah. but I think... I think that that might be because ever since that that change has been made, I've noticed more and more the desire to have those those five years. Now, this company that I represented on this, I had just put them on a ten thousand square feet office space in Doral before they went into uh, before we hit the pandemic. And during the pandemic, of course, they were seeing themselves men. Nobody's going to come into, nobody's coming to the office. Then when they started coming back, not everybody wanted to come back to the office. It was hybrid, all that other stuff. This is a company that believes in its core, the importance of culture. They are in a very technical field. A lot of their concern was the amenities of the area, the amenities of the building, and the amenities of the office space that they were going to build out for their employees, making sure they had a place to rest, making sure they had a place to play, right, and exercise, and making sure that they had a lot of the ambience surrounding it that was gonna be, you know, very, very important to, to them. So when they call me and they say, now we're looking for more space, mm -hmm. because they're growing, and their employees are seeing the value of coming back into the office, I think says a lot about the culture that they built, you know? And I think that when not everybody looks, uh, I've, I've worked with other clients that don't look at office like that. They're just looking at what's the price per square foot? What is it gonna cost me? But I'm seeing a huge shift. Even before the pandemic, I started to see it. You know, we all say mm -hmm. that what the pandemic did was, accelerate, you know, accelerate yeah. trends that were already there. I think that that mindset serves them well. And, and in fact, they're at a point where now they're doing the build out. But once they finish the build out, they're like, I, I think we're going to be right at capacity pretty much by the time they move in, oh, wow. which is which is crazy because I think people are clamoring, you know, for that experience to yeah. go back to, to go, go back, back to the office. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's interesting you said about because whether or not it was because of the way that the IRS looks at leases or it's the fact that the pandemic sped up the work from home. Right. I think that that's another reason why maybe people are looking at the shorter leases to mm -hmm. see kind of where this is all going to level out. 
right during the pandemic it was like nobody was in the office then it became like okay a couple of days a week in the office i spoke to my son in london and he was saying that both he and his fiance's companies are saying you know they had said one to two days a week now it's three to four days a week back in office and i think to your point it's that they're realizing that you can accomplish a lot on zoom and and online but it nothing takes place of being in person and having that creative energy flowing in an office. Absolutely. So you mentioned so was is there office space that you that you did it just now? Is that was that more of a tr- traditional office or was it more of a creative type open? Interestingly enough, it had the perfect combination of indiv- independent offices and a huge bullpen. Okay. You know, this was the former uh, headquarters for Pepsi-Cola here in Miami. And so they had a huge bullpen area and then they had basically three or four, three or four conference rooms because they had a testing area. They had, uh, the, you know, the marketing had their own conference room. So they had it, you know, kind of divided in that way. It's beautiful because, you know, you're overlooking the lagoon and you're overlooking the airport. And right. so this is an engineering company that does, you know, that deals with civic projects, water, transportation. So it's just perfect. You're looking at the airport, right? <laughs> right? Infrastructure, you're looking at water and you're looking at, uh, you know, the Palmetto Expressway, you know, right in front of you and the big lake. So it's it's just like a perfect uh, thing. But it was, it did, the open area is important to them. Right. That's So it's a little bit... Not like our office in Doral, where you have right. this, the smaller conference rooms, a right. bigger conference room, a big open area right. for the collaboration. And I think that that's a trend where it's almost like a hybrid, right? It's not a traditional office, but right. it's not 100% creative. Yeah. And that is the trend that I'm seeing. And yeah. I'm seeing, you know, the glass walls for yeah. transparency, right? Transparency yeah. and everything we do is kind of a big word, whether it's work or paperwork or deals or whatever so i've also seen amazing things i saw an office that that had an entire playroom with musical instruments then they had a sound you know uh, almost like a sound deprivation room you Mm -hmm. know they had two beautiful massaging chairs and it was extremely dark and you would go in there and you would bring your you know your sleeping, your sleeping eye covers and you can be there for 15 20 minutes 30 minutes you could take a a nap you could just kind of unwind was uh, that the gensler building at 545 win they have uh, they have something similar yeah no this was inside of of, of a built-out office oh. that was in um in in coral gables uh, okay but it was it was really right by the colonnade it, i i think it was in the colonnade in that in that office sector that's there the first thing you walk in you saw all the musical instruments and everybody was working and everybody seemed to be very happy and it was you know lots of lots of uh, vertical space and lots of light you know right. and so it was it's it's a vibe and and they really have created that vibe now one of the things that is really interesting is we all have gotten used to zoom right yes. and you know but i have, i you know it's ironic that zoom has basically told its employees hey it's time to go back to the office right (laughs) and facebook meta has told its employees it's time to come back to the office there is something that you lose by not having uh, a place to connect you know and i personally would hate to have in my mind envisioned that i would always have to work from home 
Right. You know, there there's something about being here. There's something about. I didn't last about, very long at home. You didn't last no, very long at I was, home? I was back at the office so fast as well, soon it, as we could get Was it. it you that didn't last or was it was it your companions that were was kicking it, you out? Was it entire family? Was it Carlos? Carlos is like, uh, listen, <laughs> you know. Carlos never had time back. off. <laughs> Carlos, he, you know, he worked That's at Fort right. Everglades, so he That's worked right. the entire time. No, for me, it's yeah. more... I don't so know. So you were really jealous of Carlos because yes. he would get to go every day. I was, I was. No, I think what it is is that, like, I bookend my days, right? So in the morning, I do certain things to get me ready for the work day. And yeah. then when I'm in the office, it's just I have a different brain yeah. like it, it's more the the do in at home it's more the thinking the creative the planning and then when i get to the office it's the do it's the bouncing ideas off it's right. like when you get texts from me saying hey i went on a run or hey i thought yeah. of this it's different telling you that via text or telephone versus when we're in person and we're chatting and we're fleshing out the idea. And I think most people are, you know, most employers are, are realizing that. Well, let me ask you, because uh, I, I have a question specific to class A, B and C and how the dynamics change in putting together a, a lease and putting together a deal. But before I do that, I want to tell you, there's nothing like competition to get people back into work. I got a, a great, great friend of mine. They're in this huge office in Coconut Grove, and they uh, have multiple divisions within this company. You know, it's uh, it's an accounting firm, and you know, he was saying that there were people that were only showing up to work once a week, but they had their office, they had their desk, they had you know, basically planted the flag like this is mine. But his division was growing, and everybody was in the office every day from his division. Mm -hmm. So eventually they just started like, you know, a little bit like marauders. They were like, you know what? If you're not here and I need your desk, I'm taking over the desk, right, you know? Right. And then people started coming back and it's like, I don't have a desk. It was like, hey, nope, so now they made a rule. <laughs> if you want a desk, you need to be here at least three times a week. You know, so the, it wasn't the rule like, no, you have to come back. It's like, hey, if you want to rest, we're, we're, we're claiming the space. Well, and that's interesting <laughs> because now this word has come up called hoteling, where that's what it is, right? Where right. if the person doesn't come in every day, there's they kind of use it like hotel rooms where like, OK, this office yep. is used by so and so. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Tuesday, Thursday, and so-and-so, right. or just the open desk space. And by, and by the way, this office is like, I mean, it's like you say, it's like being in a hotel. Uh -huh. They have, there's food everywhere, there's snacks everywhere, there's anything you want to drink, there's, you know, the, the spaces are beautiful, everything, there's tech all over the place, you know, it's like incredibly inviting place mm -hmm. to come to work. They have assigned parking, you know, they have two floors of assigned parking there, you know, they're they're taking care of, and of course, you're in Coconut Grove. Right. There's great food. You can uh, park your so, car if you drive into you know, work and then walk yeah, everywhere else. They, yeah. they can entice people to come back to work. Where, <laughs> yeah, nobody can. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, but they're doing it. But I do want to ask you about this. So normally when you put a deal together, just for people to, to, to understand is, like for example, this big space, you know, it needed to be built out. So normally, especially when you're class A, usually you're dealing with an institutional owner, you're dealing with somebody savvy. In their management of this asset, when they're leasing it out, they're already accounting for uh, TI, tenant improvement credits, for them to build out the space. 
um, most of the time, what they will offer to the tenant is they'll offer a price per square foot, right, that they're willing to give them in order to build out. And that basically creates a budget for what they want to build out. But they would also offer to do the work themselves, right, because they already have all of the right people to be able to do it. So they will engage their architect, they will engage their contractors because they have a vested interest in trying to finish out the, the space and the build out as, as quickly as possible. Right, and if they build it out, they usually charge a management fee. They do, they right. charge a management fee, but they usually can get below that, that budget, right? Um, when you're dealing with class B, class C, you know, that that's where it becomes especially classy it becomes a different scenario right where you know sometimes it's hard to achieve a tenant improvement credit um, because some of the spaces are just being kind of rented as is for lack of a better term and then you might get some rent abatement may basically get some months free rent um, you know out of it any anything else that you that you can think of that it that that differentiates the experience when you're dealing with leasing office space from class a, class C to class A for example hmm, I'd never really I'd never really thought of it but yeah definitely more TI I'm thinking of the Wells Fargo building lease that I did definitely more TI definitely a lot more free rent yes. um, although it's not really free rent people think no. they're getting free rent but right. it's just that they tack it onto the back actually when the rent is more expensive so a lot of times the landlord does that a lot of times if I'm trying to decrease the the overall rent for the tenant I'll say okay we want the free rent without it tacked onto the back and then that'll change that'll change something that'll change the amount right. of TI or yeah. or whatever um, but so yeah that's yeah, just because to your point if you're gonna do a, a five-year lease a 60-month lease and they're gonna give you four months of, of free rent they usually would say it's a 64 month lease right you know with four months of free rent because they they're uh, part of that is also because when a landlord is calculating the TI they they want to amortize that expense Correct. over 60 months so they might say well you know I'm really not gonna start making money until after the 12th month for example right, right? and then and then the remaining you know uh 48 months are going to be uh that that's where i really have revenue that is coming in that you know right and they almost all of them especially the class a's have clawbacks for if you break a lease ahead of time or if you right. have a 10-year lease with an out at right. year three or seven or whatever they prorate Correct. all of the costs that they incurred and if you break the lease then you're still yeah. responsible for that yeah. for that dollar amount the other thing that happens that i think it's interesting for people to know is that the landlord is always going to want to evaluate the financial um, strength of the person that is leasing I, I know you had an experience where you had a, a client that didn't want to share their financials it's not as easy as saying look i'll give you the down payment you know i have the down right. payment i have this when you're doing for small office spaces, they're usually marketed like that. It's $1,500 a month where you're looking for two months rent, mm -hmm. you know, um, security deposit, et cetera. You know, when you're dealing with the bigger spaces and, and in the bigger, you know, in the bigger arenas, usually a landlord wants to know what is the, you know, what is the financial status of this company? Are this com Is this company able to really uh, sustain the payments, right. you know, um, because, it, to our to the point that I just made about TI if you're gonna invest that amount of money in building out the space to their specifications you want to make sure that they're gonna be solid enough to likely you know 
Right. And in a, in a class C building, since you're not getting TI, you mm -hmm. usually don't have those issues. It's right. like first, last security. Right. It's almost like a residential Absolutely. lease. And you can do much shorter terms because they don't have to amortize anything across. So, but so. you had, you had an experience where you had a, a a client that was unwilling to almost felt insulted by that the, was for retail uh, space. Yeah, that was for retail yeah. space. And you know, I had asked for the business plan and for the financials, and she's like, "Well, I have them, but right. you know, I I never saw them. I didn't." And after we kept presenting the offers, she's like, "I'll share them." when we find a space and she'd share them with the landlord and the landlord would be like, no. Yeah. And then I'm like, well, let me see them to see if there's an, and she yeah. wouldn't show them. So I'm like, I can't help you because we had already three no's and right. you know, everything else. And she's like, well, this isn't how they do it where I'm from, mm -hmm. you know, which was, um, in California, in California, when she had taken her lease, it was different. It was like the owner owned it and liked the concept right. and let them in and did all the build that. I'm most like, it. it doesn't work that way here because most of the properties that you're looking at are owned by an investment group and they have to um, answer to not only to their investors, but to the right. bank and the bank yeah. controls. But a lot of people don't realize is especially in the class A and B properties that have, a, you know, that have financing on it. The bank controls a lot of what the landlord can and can't do. So right. um, I also wanted to touch back on what you had said about C buildings and, and yeah. you know, kind of the different asset classes of buildings, because you also have asset classes of locations, right? So yeah. you can you can't really have an a class building in a C yeah, location, so. right? right? But you could have a C class building in an A location. Like there's some Absolutely. amazing properties in Brickell no that are C-class yeah. buildings and Correct. Brickell is an A-class location. I think that's no why Ken Griffin paid a fortune for a much older building that right. the owner long-term hold, they were going to develop it, but he just saw the value, Ken yeah. saw the value in that location. And um, so I think that that's also something very interesting because if you do find a C building in either an A or a B location, especially yeah. if you can figure out the corridors of expansion, right? So if you if you look at an area that's currently a class A location and you can figure out which way the population's going to move, that's a little bit where the risk is because if you uh -huh. if you buy on the edge of scary and they go in the other direction, right. then you've made a bad investment. But if you right. buy on the edge of scary and all of a sudden the A and the urban area catches up to you, now you've made a really good investment. Absolutely. So um, so I think that that's important too. You, it's not only the class of the building, it's the class of the location. No, no, absolutely. And that's where the opportunity is, right? Correct. To, uh, uh, it's the equivalent of what people say if you buy the ugliest house in the <laughs> yeah. prettiest right in, yeah, the, in yeah. the best in the neighborhood right neighborhood. Yeah. so that's that you're usually going to do well i remember when uh, andrew frey was building to which was this you know multifamily building without any parking his uh tagline for the marketing was that little havana is the amenity you know <laughs> yeah, like yeah. yeah there's no amenities Same. here but this is the amenity right. is the neighborhood and right. uh and I think that that is, you know, that that is very, very valid. And to your point, Brickle before when I moved here 30 something years ago, yeah. Brickle died at five o'clock. No doubt. And during the weekends, right. ghost town. Right. Yeah. Even though there were some condos in the yeah. area, 
for the most part, nothing was happening. Well, now it's a 24-hour city, right? Brickell has, you know, with Brickell City Center, which was built by Swire, and Swire is the most patient, I think, developer that I've ever encountered um, between what they did with Brickell Key and what they've done with Brickell City Center. They're very thoughtful in everything that they do, but they they turned that area into an amenity. So Brickell itself now has not only Right. a super vibrant office market that is hustling all the time. Yeah. It also has a huge residential base that actually, I think what happened is during the Great Recession, you know, they had built all of those buildings um, kind yeah. of speculatively and had all that crazy yeah. money going in there. And then everything went on sale and became a place where rents were so cheap on Brickell, yeah. but they had already started amenitizing the area. Mm-hmm. And, and now it's a hot place and there's always some place to, to yeah. eat and everything else. So And right. that in Coconut Grove, right? So now they're building more office space in Coconut Grove because yeah. there's so much demand for office to be there because no people love the Grove to live and now they want to work there. They don't want to get in crazy Miami yeah. traffic. So yeah. are you are you ready for your... I, I I think uh, oh yeah are we That's almost uh, I was I'm, like I'm having really we're having so much oh fun my yet. goodness I'm I'm having a lot of fun I I, I um, this is what happens when you give Fernando an espresso before <laughs> the podcast <laughs> all right forget it let's go no 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 no, no. so um, mine is on you know on the on the real estate platform Crexy there are currently 248 offices listed in Miami Dade County for sale on the platform. Platform. That doesn't mean that's everything obviously listed for sale. It's just what's on Crexy's platform. The median sales price is 929000 The total volume of office space for sale is $725 million. The median square footage is 5,283 square feet. And the median asking cap rate is 6.5%, but the median sold is 5.3. So that tells me that cap rates are are moving up in office. And then to our point about A, B, or C class building, the median year built is 1985. So that's telling me there's a lot of B and and C space um, that's available that would probably be a good investment opportunity. And the median days on market is 127. There's a few of those in Coral Gables also. Yeah. Coral yeah. Gables has a few of those, you know, classy buildings that are just in a beautiful location mm-hmm. that are prime for, you know, for, for some for love. Facelift. For a facelift. Yeah. For a facelift and, and some, some attention. Well, the, the stat that I have today has to do with, again, as I mentioned earlier, strong confidence in Miami's future uh, in the office sector. And that is that currently there are over 2 million square feet of office space under construction. The Brickell sub-market market takes the lead, accounting for 40% of all ongoing construction, primarily 830 Brickell Tower. And the Biscayne Corridor follows closely behind with 593,000 square feet under construction, including two big notable projects in Wynwood, one called the URSA, uh, which is still over a year away from uh, from com- completion. I um, I will say kudos to Avis and Young for, for their uh, office report, uh, which is also very good. I will say to your point about office, 
Class A office developers are not necessarily risk takers. They're not the first to arrive in an area, you know? Um, so you're right. It's, it's you know, virtually impossible to find a Class A building in a, in a Class C location, let's say, right? But I think that restaurateurs, entertainers, artists, are really the creatives, the creatives the and they are the ones that really are they really forge ahead so i remember early early on many many years ago when soika announced that they were going to build you know they were going to have this restaurant on 54th you know right in midtown and biscayne and that was an area that yeah. you know people were afraid to edge to go scary. to edge of scary absolutely that one actually you know? was just finals i think that one was you know <laughs> but to have that and i remember that there was a sense of that was part of the excitement for people yeah. it's like hey we're going to venture into you know <laughs> the but how what an incredible you know and i always think about that that's a pioneering kind of thing that we have to celebrate is, you know, it, it is the risk, the, the risk takers, right? And um, and they have been around there for forever. And, you know, everything that, that grew around there, yeah. uh, I think you got to give that a lot of credit. So I think the retailers, you know, the, the restaurateurs, the artists, they're really the ones that forge ahead. And so you got to be paying attention to those things, right, you know? Right. Yeah, pay, pay attention to where yeah. they're going because that's... That's where the urban core is going to meet, no right? Doubt. That's where yeah. they're going to move to. So Absolutely. that's a good, that's a good, very Absolutely. good insight for where to look if you want to invest. Yeah. So thank you so much for joining us yeah. on an office tour of Miami class Absolutely. A, B, C, D, yeah. and F properties. It is wonderful uh, to have you listen. Thank you guys so much for your time and uh, we'll see you next time. God bless.